form of Vedanta. They are non-theistic, monistic forms of Vedanta. And Vedanta means, Anta means end, and Veda means knowledge. So it's a word that speaks about the pursuit of the end of knowledge, or perfect knowledge, if you will, or the knowledge by which we can become perfectly happy. That would be perfect <laughs> knowledge. Not uh, encumbered by any other extraneous facts and uh, information. <clears throat> Essential knowledge. <clears throat> and um, in that might be rephrased then in our tradition as wise love. Everyone wants love, but everyone's not wise, and, and love is always doesn't always seem very wise. Sometimes it says that love knows no, no reason. <clears throat> so to combine the two, wise love, to lose your head, but to soften your heart. Hmm? And that's a pretty big exercise of the head, actually. <laughs> um, so it's a bhakti tradition. Bhakti means love and devotion. And so in a, in a school of, of devotional Vedanta, you have, you have four basic um, things to consider. You have yourself, and then you have the body and mind complex, psychological and biological um, complex that is part of the natural um, world. Consciousness, the self, in this case, being of another nature. Mm-hmm. Um, super subjective mm-hmm. world of values and meaning and and so forth. Um, a self, then that that is to say, that's not uh, an emergent property of the brain um, uh, that has causal efficacy on the world um, in terms of um, how it. It works, um, not being constituted of 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 matter, either a psychic or physical matter. The self is therefore not constrained ultimately by time and space, and so it's thought to be without beginning, without end, and therefore enduring even when the physical, biological, and psychological complex meets its, its uh, well, its maker. Then that's the third thing. <laughs> you have the body-mind complex or the natural world, and you have the self. Hmm. That's two, I guess there's three. Well, it's four. And then there's, then there's, then there's, then there's the super self, if you will, because after all, if they have a doctrine of love, uh, wise love, then there needs to be an object of love 
in which the love is reposed. So you need the love or the embodiment of the love, and then you need somewhere where the love-er, if you will, or that vessel of love can repose itself, an object of love. So there's kind of a a two, a, du- a duad, if you will, in love. The two, of course, are one at the same time, which is rather transrational because it's hard to be two and one at the same time. Hmm. But but love is like that, and love, as we said earlier, it, 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 it doesn't answer to reason always. So, in, in other words, in love we try to be one, with one another, and at the same time, we remain two. You and I become we, something like that. So, a dynamic unity between ourselves and our source, and that unity involves distinguishing ourselves from the non-eternal, hmm? identifying ourselves in love with our consciousness source, if you will, the Godhead, and then the means to do that. Hmm? The means to distinguish ourselves from, from matter and to unite ourselves in love with the Godhead, with Bhagwan. that's called bhakti. So we've got the four things. We have the natural world, which we call maya, hmm? an illusory influence something we're plugged into that creates somewhat of a virtual reality that's not really happening to us, but we've so identified with it that we think that it is. And we need someone to come and pull us away from the TV, so to speak, and say, you've got a life of your own. Hmm? And uh, so that loving grip that pulls us away from the virtual reality, this is the divine intervention in the form of the saints and the sacred texts and so on and so forth hmm? and the uh, and the yoga if you will of love of bhakti hmm? and so by the by the yoga of love we we do two things we 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 uh, remove ourselves if you will from the shadows of an illusory sense of existence and we come into a loving uh relationship a wise one with the with the absolute in 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 such measure hmm, that the absolute has to take a shape hmm, a form to conform with the nature of our uh, loving approach within the parameters of what is yoga Hmm? So, for example, in Hinduism, in the bhakti, uh, or the devotional schools of, of, of Hinduism, you have different gods and goddesses. Hmm? You have Ram, you have Krishna, for example, hmm? Narayan. Hmm? And today we're celebrating one of those avatara. Tara means in Sanskrit, to cross, and Ava means to cross from up to down. So the the entrance within time and space of the Godhead for the purpose of taking us beyond our time-space reference. Hmm? Hmm? Um, 
and these types of spiritual histories, if you will, uh, are recorded in the sacred text and thought to be that to contemplate them will uh, take us outside of our present for limited as it is frame of reference of time and, and space and what we think is possible and what is not possible and so on and so forth. Windbreak. We'll be back after a windbreak. So, so there are thought to be many, many forms of the one God, if you will, in Hinduism. It's, um, um, again, in the different forms are thought to correspond with the different devotional and realized hearts of the different devotees. So the forms of the Godhead, they, 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 ha- they are constituted of a spiritual emotional content. Hmm? It corresponds with the emotions of the heart that have awakened in the heart <clears throat> having retired or risen above material emotions. That's a big subject, but uh, we ride, if you will, on the waves of our ups and downs. We, we try to acquire happiness and we try to avoid distress and it's it's quite a uh, a um, uh, a voyage to use a nautical example on the ocean the ocean of material existence ups and downs and in in many schools of yoga and Vedanta the idea is to take that ocean of material emotions that creates goods, bads, happies and sads, which unfortunately uh, put us at odds with one another in as much as your good might be my bad, your cold might be my hot, your happy might be my sad. So these perceptions arising in the mind through the, in conjunction with the senses that to touch and see and hear and relay messages to the central kind of computer of, of the mind, the determinations that are made there, good, bad, happy, sad, hot, cold, and so on and so forth. These are very relative uh, readings of the world. Your reading is different from mine, and it's all relative to the senses and the minds that we have, which we are not. <laughs> so... Um, so many schools of Vedanta and Yoga, they, they seek to, to take this ocean of material emotions, this diversity that's false. That's hmm? a false reading. You think, again, hot, bad, hot, cold, happy, sad. This false reading. And, and level the field, so to speak, or, or, or um, make that ocean of the mind calm. Hmm? So that there are no more waves in there, no more vrittis in the chitta, to use the yoga language. Chitta vritti nirodha. This is from the sutras of Patanjali in the school of Ashtanga Yoga, a different school from ours, of course. There are similarities. Um, 
chitta vritti niruddha means to make the chitta or the internal uh, yogic sense of mind, if you will, organ of perception, flat, peaceful, no more waves, uh, no more surfing there. Hmm. No more rising only to fall, rising only to fall. Hmm. Uh, and therefore, you may have heard the terms, uh, sometimes it's invoked, shanti, 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 peace, peace, peace. That sounds good when we're at war. And uh, our present situation is somewhat like that, like war, like a struggle. If you were to be dropped off in the middle of the Atlantic, that would be a struggle, hmm. riding the waves and sometimes being submerged, sometimes above, and even when above, it's too hot and there's nothing to drink, and <laughs> and so on and so forth. So we're kind of like, yeah, you know, as an atma, a fish out of water, hmm, trying to find our place um, in relation to something that's achit, asat, nirananda, and we are sat, chit, ananda. Hmm? Asat. Everything here is asat. Here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's achit. It's not cognitive matter. It doesn't respond when we knock um, and in, a, in the same way. And uh, asat, achit, nirananda, there's no joy there inherently in matter. We posit ourselves within matter and then get joy out of it because it's now my house or my car or my country. My is the big and operative word here to determine whether there's anything to get out of it. Hmm? There's much in me, in you, in I, in the self. But the self entangled with matter is in a troubled situation, at war with itself, so to speak. Hmm? and riding again on this ocean of material existence, ups and downs, and all this diversity is false, it's getting in the way. Uh, so we want unity. And from war we want peace. Hmm? That said, in the Bhakti tradition that we are speaking from today, we want m more than peace. We want Peace and love. <laughs> so, peace is part of love. Hmm? Kind of. Hmm? Um, and what I mean by that is that we want peace, we want unity. Where there was this false diversity I was speaking about that's been created by the mind and the senses keeping us at odds or at some distance from one another. We feel we should be close. We want to get close with at least one other. Hmm? But even then, it only can only get so close. But there's this drive to have unity and, uh, and, and to have peace. Um, at the same time that there is a drive for peace and unity, there's also a drive for diversity. Just like in love, we want unity, but we also want... Um, our own space. <laughs> uh, that could be called a breakdown of love, I suppose. But uh, but we do want diversity as much as we want unity. Hmm? And these two are, welcome, our opposites. Hmm? 
So how to have both at the same time? How to have unity and diversity at the same Now the diversity compromises the unity. If we do away with the diversity for the sake of unity, um, let's say, for example, to use another example, we are on a, we're, we, the neighbors are playing music. One guy's playing a guitar, one guy's playing a violin, another person's playing a trumpet, and they're all playing, they're all practicing. <laughs> and they're not playing together. And it just like comes out as noise. Hmm? So our material existence is something like that. It's like a, it's a noisy, it's a disturbance. Hmm? But music doesn't have to be a disturbance. Now, to do away with that, we could say, could you guys all just play one note? Oh, just play that one note. You think, that sounds peaceful. Hmm? Peaceful. If we can get that far, then we can invite them over. Hmm? Now you're all playing one note. Now then we can teach them to play different notes at the same time that work with one another. And we have now a concert of many sounds. We have variety now. Hmm? But it's not at the compromise or at the cost of unity. It's a very it's a it's a much more meaningful and profound and fulfilling sense of unity in which there is a diversity that ornaments the unity. Hmm? So this is what we seek in bhakti. And therefore, moving back for a moment to the analogy of the ocean and its waves of ups and downs and the yogic idea of making it peaceful, instead of making it peaceful, we just want one big wave, one tidal wave of love. Hmm? or some a number of waves you could say but a wave for ram a wave for krishna a wave for narayan different kind different varieties of love hmm? and the personality of the godhead appearing in different ways to reciprocate with different nuanced approaches of love hmm? within the context of 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 a, of a yogic or a wise approach so so, as I say, there are then th- these different forms of the Godhead. You know Ram, you may have seen, and Krishna. Hmm? You know maybe Hanuman, Hanuman the monkey, servitor of Ram. I'll give you just an example that I've used before. Some of you may have heard it, so forgive me for repeating myself, but it's sometimes good to make a point. It is said in the in the in the ancient texts that Krishna has a bird carrier in Dwaraka. Krishna appears in different places in, in, in different realms with different type for corresponding with different types of love from different types of devotees. So you have this the metropolitan Krishna uh, who's uh, who's uh, who's uh, motorized fellow. Uh, driving the chariot of Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, hmm? speaking the Upanishadic wisdom and uh, and so forth, hmm? and dealing with the politics of the day, and then you have the rural Krishna, right, who's playing the flute, wearing the peacock feather, and wondering whether Radha loves him or not. Hmm? Very peculiar. <laughs> this is the same person. But 
the Godheads appearing in, with different emotions corresponding to different types of devotees and different types of love, which constitutes this variety in transcendence. It's a very interesting concept, theologically. Hmm? You have to appreciate, of course, the idea that love has a shape. Art has a shape. Art is, is an idea, but that if it doesn't come out of the canvas, no one can take advantage of it. So the forms here that we're speaking about are not a limitation, but they're actually the shape of love by which it can be experienced, tasted. Hmm. Um, and their specificity to the different forms and so forth, which, again, specificity is required for loving. Just like in the Gita, you may be familiar with when Krishna showed himself in the 11th chapter that everything is inside of me. This virata rupa, this divine manifestation. And Arjuna was, thought it was wonderful, but he didn't like it that much. He said, I, I like it better when it, we're just friends. Hmm? that's awe-inspiring but it keeps me at some distance from you even though I'm inside of you hmm? whereas when I see you as a friend then there's intimacy hmm? so uh, he felt that, that the form of Krishna as his friend was a more developed experience in transcendence than simply the idea or the experience that that of kind of a of a pantheistic the world is God and I'm in it and wow something like that that and and something more so at any rate I say Krishna's different forms and so forth so in his form in a metropolitan Krishna in his city in Dwaraka he told his bird carrier Garuda that there's a fellow named Hanuman. He's over here. Fly over there and get him and tell him I'd like to see him. He's a, he's a great devotee of mine. So Garuda thought, oh, I'll meet another devotee. That's nice. Devotee, so I'll go. He met Hanuman. He said, Hanuman, Krishna is asking to see you personally. In Dwarka, please hop on and I'll fly you over there. And Hanuman said, um, tell him I'll be there in a minute. And Garuda thought, what kind of devotee is this? Krishna wants to see. Krishna wants to see me. He says, "I'll see him in a minute." So he flies back, waiting for me. Doesn't come. He flies back to Dwaraka and says to Krishna that he said he'd be here in a minute. You know, I mean, uh, I guess you wanted to teach me that all your devotees are not so, you know, <laughs> advanced or whatever, or they have other distractions. And Krishna said, "No, no, that's all right. Go back and tell him that Ram wants to see him." Hmm? So he said, "Okay." He flew back and said, Hanuman, Ram wants to see you in Dwarka. So Hanuman said, okay, well, I'll be there in a minute. He said, what? So he, then he started flying back, thinking, what kind of devotee is this? You know, and then when he's flying back to the city, Hanuman is coming the other way, leaping across the sky. You know, he said he leaped from Sri Lanka from the, the tip of India to Sri Lanka in a Ra Ramayan battle with Ravan and so forth. Monkeys can jump. So he's jumping, but he's coming. The Garuda is going this way back to Krishna. He left Hanuman over here who said, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Hmm? And as he's flying back wondering, Hanuman's coming this way saying, Ram! The idea being that he didn't want to take the slow boat of Garuda when he heard that Ram wanted to see him. He jumped there 
and he was jumping back already. Hmm? So there is some bias, if you will, hmm, in bhakti, as there is in, in, in love. There's a general love where, where there's not a bias, and that's important where we're uh, equal to everyone hmm? and we have compassion for all and so on and so forth. Hmm? This is part of bhakti, but beyond that, in relation to the object of love, hmm, then there may be a bias. I love Ram more than Krishna. I love Narasimha more than, more than Ram and different forms of the Godhead and so forth. And this is all beautiful. This ornaments transcendence, if you will. It makes for the variety. So Krishna appearing in different forms, in each form constituting a different kind of emotional, transcendent emotional um, components. <clears throat> Again, those emotional components are the variety hmm, that doesn't compromise the unity. So, long explanation, but um, we're here to de- celebrate one of those forms of the Godhead, and his name is Nara Singha. Hmm? And I wanted, <laughs> so, uh, I wanted to recite a poem written by Bhakti Vinod Thakur, uh, some verses in his book, Navadvit Baba Taranga, the, the, the waves of spiritual emotion in, in, in of, of Navadvip. Navadvip is a special place. Um, it's thought that uh, with regard to Krishna and his Leela, Leela means the divine play, that, that there are special certain places on earth where these Leelas of Krishna are particularly centered. One is a place called Brindaban, about 90 miles south of Delhi. Hmm? One is, is, is Jagannath Puri on the seaside, hmm? on the other side of India, towards the south. And the other is Navadweep in West Bengal, hmm? just at the border of Bangladesh, where the Ganges meets the meets the, meets the Bay of Bengal. Hmm? So Navadweep, Buri, and Brindaban. Hmm? So the, the book I'm citing from Navadweep Baba Taranga is about the bhava. Baba means your spiritual emotion, that spiritual variety that is the spice of the life in transcendence, that is the love beyond peace. Hmm? Beyond peace, peace and love. Hmm? Peace involves not taking, not, not fighting, but not fighting, not taking. Not, that's not the whole face of love. Hmm? I often say that we move for want of love, and when we find it, there's no rest. <laughs> so it has a movement of its own. Hmm? And this we're speaking about wives' love, so there's a movement in transcendence, variety, and so forth. So, Navadvi Baba Taranga, the waves, Tarangi means waves, the waves of emotion in Navadvip. It's a very special place. In this place, Navadvip is the place where Krishna makes a very special appearance. And this is a historical appearance. We like to think of Krishna as a historical person, but probably most scholars wouldn't wouldn't agree with us on that. We can't trace it out historically uh, in time and so on and so forth. Suffice to say that he lives 
forever in the hearts of his uh, devotees <clears throat> on earth. So he's on earth and, and more. <laughs> but, um, but this particular avatar, hmm, the relative to Navadweep, Sri Chaitanya is a historical person whose who, who historicity of can be uh, attested to, traced out, and so on and so forth, uh, dating back to about what five hundred and some years ago in Nadia, Navadweep. Hmm? The story of that avatar, the cause, the 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 uh, the spiritual emotions behind it behind him are very extraordinary they take us very deeply into the krishna's leela in vrindavan the rural leela krishna with the cows and the hand milk maidens and and so forth in that uh narrative found in the bhagavad purana hmm, the most um popular of the Indian sacred texts, the Bhagavad Purana, that, and the Ramayana, the story of Ram, uh, the Mahabharata, hmm, in which the Bhagavad Gita is found. The Bhagavad is the, is the story of Krishna's life. Hmm, very popular. Hmm, and uh, it's been translated into many, many uh, languages. It's a very, uh, of all the Puranas, the spiritual kind of histories and lore of the sacred text of India. The Bhagavad Purana is very sophisticated in its language. Um, so from a literary point of view, um, it's, it's, it's categorically uh, different than the other uh, Puranas. From a theological and philosophical point of view, it's also very complex and sophisticated. Hmm? Um, very nuanced. And this is a book in which the life of Krishna is is um, portrayed, and in the center of that book, this is uh, the, the the description is there of the of the of the to be sh- brief about it. The meeting of Radha and Krishna. Radha is thought to embody the the highest love, and Krishna is the, the corresponding object. You know, you have again different forms of the Godhead. And if we look at Krishna, it kind of represents the heart of the Hindu divinity, the romantic heart of the Absolute. You have the Buddha as the head, the wise, uh, and, and uh, to give an example. So the, the romantic and carefree heart. Krishna has no weapons in, in the rural life there. Hmm? He's not fighting any wars. He's not establishing Dharma or anything like that. He's just playing. Hmm? playing the flute, herding cows, and trying to get Radha's attention. Hmm? So, um, the idea behind that, theologically, of course, is he who, that it takes power to play, to be, to be brief. So, the Godhead who's depicted as only playing has all power. Hmm? Just like it takes power to take to have to take, take a vacation and play, you have to have money in the bank, you have to have time off from work and so forth. Hmm? So other gods and goddesses all have something to accomplish. Shiva's in meditation, Brahma's got four heads, he's managing, Krishna's trying to meditate, or Shiva's meditating. Krishna's just dancing, playing, nothing to do. Hmm? Um, 
except one thing, and that is to get Radha's attention, and Radha is the embodiment of bhakti. So it's the theological idea that, that, that Krishna is, is controlled by love, conquered by love. He is the, 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 the personification of affection, and affection for him draws his attention. So, as the story builds, and and in the, the October uh, autumn moon rises, and Krishna's been practicing playing his magical flute that he finds when he plays it, the cows, on one note, the cows give milk, which is a sign of their affection. Water stops, and land starts to flow like water, and uh, he, he, he's finding all these magical abilities with his flute. He wants to attract Radha's attention. Hmm. He thinks that'll be the perfection of his flute playing. Hmm. And so the night is perfect, hmm. romantic evening and so forth. He plays the flute, and of course she comes hmm, in the night, dropping all other affairs, household duties, responsibilities, everything, hmm, to meet with Krishna. And in the meeting, then, Krishna sees the measure of her love, and he thinks it's super extraordinary. And he thinks, what is it about her that he said, everyone's attracted to me? Hmm? So many devotees. My name, Krishna, means... Uh, irresistible. Hmm? All attractive. Krishna. Hmm? Etymologically speaking, it so, uh, all kind of yogis meditate upon me, and uh, people worship me for different things and so forth. But there's, but she is driving me mad. My guru used to say that that everyone's interested in worshiping Krishna, but. We are interested in who Krishna is worshipping. That's a very peculiar idea. That is Radha, the Shakti of Krishna. And he thinks, what is it that makes her like this? That she, I'm so attracted, everyone's attracted to me, but I'm attracted to her in a way that's very extraordinary. And so he's a very thoughtful fellow, and he realizes that it's something in me that she sees that makes her the way she is, that I can't see within myself. Hmm? Something in me makes her the way she is. It's in me. But it can only be seen by devotion. And I am the object of devotion. So the position of the devotee is arguably better than my position because it can see me in a light that even I cannot see myself. Hmm? And it, and, it, and it makes devotees like Radha as attractive as they are, that even I'm attracted to her. So, what to do, he thought. I would like to experience myself from Radha's perspective, but I can't do that in this particular drama, Leela. I have to have another Leela, hmm? where I change positions, and somehow I take on the, the, the vantage point of Radha, hmm? So this is the appearance of Sri Chaitanya in Navadvip. We were going with Bhaktivinoda Thakur's prayer. Hmm? What must be the Bhava Tarangi, the waves of spiritual emotion there, where Krishna is trying to experience himself from the vantage point of Radha, 
and the primary means, the method to his madness, it's a kind of a madness on Krishna's part, is the chanting hmm, of, of the, uh, uh, the names of Krishna, like we're chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. It's not like Harry and Krishna or something. That's a pretty deep idea here that we're talking about. Uh, it's very deep theological implications. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so we're going there, to this particular realm, Nadia, and there, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, he wrote his book, Navadvi Bhabhataranga. He's riding on the emotions of this and this is what's being described. Now, this this whole talk is is really about this spiritual emotion that, that transcends then again geography and uh, the physical uh, limitations and so on and so forth that uh, we're um, unfortunately constrained by, but feel we shouldn't be. This is a way to go beyond them. So you have to let your your rational mind now be be put in its place. Reason is not the um, to be placed on our altar. It has its application. We have to use it even to participate in this discussion. But in and of itself, it can never af- enable us to arrive at perfect knowledge. There's a saying in the sutras of Vedanta, Tarko Pratishtanat it means that by reason, by argument, by logic, one can never arrive at a conclusive truth, a truth, a perfect knowledge that will make one perfectly happy. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use reason, but that there are transrational methods hmm, by which we can arrive at perfect happiness. After all, the Atma, which we began speaking about, that self that's different from the natural world, hmm, it transcends body, mind, and intellect. So intellect is not going to reveal it. Hmm? It's not going to show up in the court of the intellect. Hmm? There's something else by which it can be known itself and it can make union with divine, the divine, and that is, of course, faith. And faith is not unreasonable. Indeed, reason is most beautiful when it becomes an ornament of an assistant of faith. Faith means the absence of doubt. It's, it means a kind of knowing as I'm speaking about it. Hmm? A kind of conclusive knowing. I'm, I'm speaking of it in terms of faith like vishvas, confidence. Hmm? Confidence. A kind of knowing, satisfaction. Hmm? So... So we have to put reason in its, in its box there. It has its place. We call on it as much as necessary. Hmm? We want to enter into the heart, heartland of the Atma, the, poss- the world where, the, where there is a possibility for love. If the Atma is a unit of Ananda, then it has the possibility to love. It just needs to find the bright object to repose itself in. Hmm? It's like a spark of the fire. It needs to connect with the whole of the fire instead of being in the smoke right now as we are. Hmm? So here Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he's 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 writing about his his feelings, his spiritual emotions. Hmm? And and he comes to he's contemplating this this place 
of Gaur Lila, this place where Sri Chaitanya appeared and performed various Leelas all in pursuit of, again, Radha's experience of Krishna hmm? and wanted to make that available to the world through the chanting. Hmm? Another attendant practices. Hmm. So, contemplating this Navadweep, this holy place, uh, Bhakti Vinod says, uh, he, he comes to this uh, uh, meditation on one of the avatars of, of Krishna, hmm? whose day we're celebrating today, Nara Singha. Nara means human and Singha means lion. So he appears in the iconography and described in the text as being half man, half lion. Pretty peculiar. I told you about that reason where he had to put that in a box. Uh, the head of a lion, the body of a, of a, of a human. So, Nara Singha has much significance. We're going to go over it for a few days here in the course of our discussions. But um, he comes to this form of the Godhead. Now, in Krishna Leela, in Gaur Leela, the Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, where Krishna is coming trying to taste the experience of Radha, he, he's known as Sri Chaitanya. He's thought to be Krishna in the mood of Radha. So you look carefully at him, you see, oh, this is Krishna. You look closely, you see the Radhas there. The two combined as one. Rasaraj Mahabhav Duyekarup, the perfection of love, Mahabhav, the fullest measure of love, the embodiment, and Rasaraj, the full object of love, Krishna, combined as one. Duyekarup, in one form. That is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so, he makes a prayer to Nisringa. As I say, in this Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there is no other avatar of Krishna hmm, that has more prominence than this Narasimha. Hmm, and his place is very prominent in Chaitanya Leela. Hmm, and there's a very good reason for that, which we'll have to get to here. Hmm. And with that in mind, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, desiring to enter into that domain, into that realm of Navadvip, Beyond the geographical representation of it in this world, into the into the subjective, meditative world, uh, where he can ride on the waves of of the spiritual emotion of that leela, in which Chaitanya Krishna is trying to taste Radha's love for himself, the leela of Sri Chaitanya. Hmm? Entering there, he makes a prayer to Narasimha. I want to cite the prayer, and then we'll talk some more about, about it. He says, With my heart, within my heart, excuse me, the six enemies headed by lust perpetually reside as well as Duplicity, the desire for fame, plus sheer cunning. At the lotus feet of Narasimha, I hope he will mercifully purify my heart and give me the desire to serve Krishna. 
So this is the first verse, so there's a few of them. I'll cite them all, but a few words about this one. He's identifying, first of all, something very significant, because uh, today, uh, in the contemporary spiritual marketplace of the, of the West here, um, it's often, the question is often raised, what is enlightenment? In fact, there's a magazine called What is Enlightenment? So it's, it seems to be a big question. What is enlightenment? One thing we can say about what enlightenment is, is by way of saying what it's not. Hmm? What it has nothing to do with. And um, that is very telling. Because when we speak about it in that way, then we can look for observable signs hmm? to determine who's enlightened and who's not. After all, it's all happening subjectively within. I can say, I went within, I'm enlightened. And I experienced this, this, and this, and you can believe me or not. <laughs> um, but uh, fond as we are in the modern world of objective evidence to verify things and so forth, the question is, is there any objective third-person way of verifying your claims? Hmm? And so the way in which Bhaktivinoda Thakur pines here for uh, love for Krishna, which would arguably be um, a form of enlightenment, is very telling because he, he contrasts it with something that we're all very familiar with. Hmm? He contrasts loving Krishna with lust to begin with. Hmm? He's basically saying that lust is but like the pale shadow the dim or perverted reflection of love. It's what passes as love in the world, but it's really all based on some perceived necessity arising from identifying with the body-mind complex, a need that I have, therefore I establish a relationship with someone else for becoming more or getting something. I see others as objects of exploitation on different levels, obviously. Some of it's very gross, and we identify it readily. Some of it is much more subtle. But as much as we are identified with the, again, the virtual reality of the body-mind complex, then we feel we have necessities that the Atma that Satchitananda has doesn't have. And so, based on that perception, we have to go and acquire, we think, and add things on and take and love is not about taking. So this lust, while it has a physical appearance and there's language about it and so forth that sounds makes it sound better than what it is, at the bottom line, it's really the antithesis, antithesis of love. And so he's saying that, that he's seeking love of Krishna. He's asking this avatar of Krishna, Nansinga, who uh, has a certain reputation for uh, uh, doing away with that which is the antithesis of love in our heart, the things which are mentioned here, lust, duplicity, uh, the desire for fame and acknowledgement, the cunningness by which we plan our next take, our next uh, exploit, next robbery, if you will, uh, intelligence wedded with the senses, always demanding sense objects, uh, 
and then we make plans with our intelligence how to satisfy our senses. This is not what intelligence is for. If it's if we are different from animals by way of intelligence, hmm, it's only so if we use our intelligence in ways that are other than animal. Hmm? Animals are, per, for example, preoccupied with the, the sense objects and their drive of their senses. Intelligence is supposed to separate us from that and and and, and make us polite, hmm? and uh, and and see a bigger picture and so on and so forth. Hmm? So. Uh, so if we use intelligence just to plan ways to meet my sensual uh, desires and so forth, then we've, uh, that's kind of an unholy alliance between the senses and the intellect. The intellect is meant, again, separate us from those things to some extent hmm? and give us clarity, ultimately, as to the difference between ourselves, in theory, and the senses, and then real use of intelligence to apply ourselves, real use of reason to apply ourselves in a transrational way. Hmm? It's like this chanting. It's not a rational method. It's transrational. It says, stop the mind, chant, and, some, and you'll know in a way that you could by not, not, that you couldn't by thinking alone. Hmm? So, if we understand the limits of reason, and so then we might that that's not working in terms of bringing us perfect knowledge. Then we might some some faith in a transrational ideology methodology can awaken, and we can apply ourselves and go beyond the limits of reasoning. But again, if we want to say I've gone beyond the limits of reason, and I then. There should be some practical evidence on this side to verify our subjective experience. And so that is, what is enlightenment? We can say, well, it's the absence of lust. It's the absence of greed. It's the absence of the desire to be um, uh, the center of, uh, you know, attention, sitting on the big chair up here, you know. Just see. And I pass... Uh, Judgment on everyone who, who who is enlightened, who is not. So, so, I mean, you can see there are not be like that too. That's the point. But uh, it does happen to people <laughs> that, uh, in the name of enlightenment, they've got a they've got a the head is swelling, but there's no lights or no real illumination in there. <laughs> so it it's very practical. In other words. Uh, absence of lust, greed, avarice, desire for distinction, adoration, and so forth. These are practical symptoms, pragmatic things that we can, objective symptoms, characteristics that we can look for in someone. It's very unfortunate today that in this spiritual, you know, community marketplace, if you will, to call it, <laughs> that's a bad name for it, but that's kind of what it is also, American entrepreneurialism, you know, it just, just doesn't stop, right? It, it has no, knows no boundaries. So, so uh everybody's out a lot of people out there marketing themselves and uh and and, and whatnot but uh but so much um and in 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 India as well i mean India per capita has more bogus gurus than anywhere in the world i mean it's <laughs> they're everywhere but but a but a misrepresentation of something can only exist obviously if something actually exists so um the real thing may be harder to detect because it's so simple. Hmm. 
absence of something, absence of greed, absence, you know. Um, once I was in India and I hadn't been there in a few years and met someone whom I knew and he said, I heard that you have an ashram in California and this is, we do, of course, as some of you have been there. And um, I had started that ashram uh, a couple years before and so he said, well, how many, how many uh, members are there there? And I said, there's four. And then he said, he felt, I could read his mind, he felt, oh, I guess I shouldn't have asked. There's only four. I found it kind of humorous, you know, to be honest with you, as if the number of people that are there will determine how credible it is. How, if it's something happening and there's somebody's got some real charisma and 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 so on and so forth, and there's money flowing, <laughs> it must be spiritual. It's happening. Um, so, um, but the simple things of uh, honesty and. Uh, um, intellectual integrity, the ability of the guru to say, I don't know the answer to that. Next question. Again, perfect knowledge is not to know everything, which would be a burden, but to know how to love. Hmm? Know how how to choose the spiritual over the material in every opportunity that presents itself to us, in every moment that uh, life unfolds before us. Hmm? Um, you know, I'm a representative of a particular lineage and I'm pretty well schooled in it and so forth, but there are things about it, the theory that I don't, haven't studied that part or uh, it's, it would be, in my estimation, over 40 years of doing this, it's impossible <laughs> to uh, even collect all of that theoretical uh, knowledge and, and if you do, then years later you haven't used it, you forgot it to some extent, so... It's a, <laughs> it's an instrument, you know. I mean, it's a, the philosophy, the theology is a way of trying to talk about something that transcends language and thought. Hmm? So it itself is is limited. So uh, instead of making up the answer, you know, or saying, "Don't ask foolish questions," <laughs> you can say, "I don't know." Next question. It's possible. So some. So this is maybe not very. <laughs> Doesn't appear very flattering or very, you know, but it's just uh, a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Honesty, um, simplicity is thought to be very beautiful. Uh, humility, um, absence of lust, greed, avarice, this kind of equanimity, and so to rise above human passions, mm-hmm. even while being passionate about spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, these I. Speaking of, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur has referenced them here as observable characteristics in someone that we should look for hmm, to, in our attempt to ascertain the measure of their spirituality. He's saying enlightenment in the form of love of Krishna involves absence of these things in one's person. Hmm? That's very useful for us. Hmm? Um, this kind of criterion that he, he, he in, invokes here. Um, I mean, he, he he's making a heartfelt prayer, and I'm just drawing from it to, to some of the implications. And he prays to Narasimha, Narasimha, this man, lion. There's a whole story, of course, behind why he's a man and a lion. And we have to get to that over the days, but it has very much to do with um, uh, doing away with these uh, 
things, lust, greed, avarice, um, and even more so offenses to the within the devotional realm, sins of the, if you will, of the flesh and sins of the soul. Another concept there. So he makes a prayer like this. First, he says, and, and his aspiration is that he might, by the grace of noticing a particular avatar of Krishna, that he might, that the desire to serve Krishna might appear in his heart. Obviously, he's already had it, got it, but he's, he's humble, that the desire might appear there, and the evidence that it's there, in a, in a meaningful sense, is that absence of other desires. Nadanam najanam nasundaram kavitam ba jagadishakamaye mama janmane janmanishvare bhavatad bhakti rahoyit kitoye nadanam najanam nasundaram I'm not interested in wealth in the attraction of the sexes nadanam najanam following nadanam najanam nasundaram kavitam ba study this is a verse I'm citing but properly understood it covers the whole realm of material possibilities of uh, in terms of material desire no desire for these things makes for a fertile heart in which a spiritual desire can come again if you stop the waves of material emotions hmm, on the ocean of your heart, then there's a possibility for spiritual waves to come. If you come for the peace, then there's a possibility for love as well. So he, he prays and sweet. For the desire to serve Krishna might come in my heart. And this will be the evidence of it. There will be no lust, greed. And so I pray, he says to Nadasingha, please, uh, that you might help me in this. You have a reputation hmm, for being able to uh, to do this in relation to your devotee, Prahlad, who's very central to this, this leela of Nadasingha. Hmm? And uh, Prahlad, as we'll hear, is it is a devotee of of Krishna. He's a devotee of Krishna, and so Krishna, particularly, and very cleverly, appeared in this form of nothing relative to the circumstances in Prahlad's life, which were very peculiar. Hmm? It required a very special type of avatar that was half man, half lion, appearing at dusk, not not a day, not at night. Um, and appearing not on the land, not in the sky, not in the water, um, all these things. It's a, it's a long story to why he appeared like this, but this all, again, relative to his devotee's situation. So Krishna's very, amongst the different avatars, and he's very clever, hmm? uh, very resourceful fellow. So this, if you, some of you are more familiar with the story, you, you can understand how Narasimha is, is, is said to have Lakshmi saw him had never been seen before. Hmm? Hmm. So it's the eternal moment that corresponds with Prahlad's love and the context in which that love arises that's so relevant uh, to our material situation. Um, but let me finish. Kandi and the Singapore Magi Weeping, I will beg at the lotus feet of Narasimha for the benediction 
of worshipping Radha and Krishna in Navadvip, perfectly safe and free from all difficulties, when will he, whose terrible and ferocious form strikes fear into fear itself, ever become pleased and show me his mercy? Even though Nanasingha is terrifying towards those who are opposed to devotion, he offers great auspiciousness unto devotees of Krishna, headed by Prahlad. When will he be pleased to speak words of compassion unto me, a worthless fool, and thereby make me fearless? He will say, Dear child, sit down freely and live happily here in Navadvip. You may nicely worship Radha and Krishna and may you and may you develop loving attachment for their holy names represented in the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. By the mercy of the devotees, all obstacles are cast away with a purified heart. Just purify just perform the worship of Radha and Krishna, for such worship overflows with sweet nectar. Saying this Will that Nanasinga delightedly place his divine lotus feet on my head? And when he does, I will experience sublime love of Radha and Krishna and undergo ecstatic bodily transformations falling on the ground. I will roll at the door of Nanasinga's temple. Bhaktivinotakur Kijai. So, well, this is just a brief reading of the prayer but I wanted to go into it in some length. So I'll continue with the discussion about Narsinga in Nabadweep. As I said, he is um, a, um, a very prominent um, avatar in the text of the Bhagavatam where the life of Krishna is explained, the different avatars of Krishna, principal avatars are also mentioned. And no avatar is given more treatment in the text than this Narasimha, not even Ram. Hmm? Um, ten full chapters are directed to, uh, are dedicated to directly speaking about him, and three plus chapters indirectly speaking about him. We're going to go to those three plus indirect chapters tomorrow in our discussion to take us to the genesis of the uh, the, the, the the appearance of Nishinga, why he what's behind it all, and so forth. But um, in the deepest sense, there's different ways to look at what's behind it. But uh, but so considerable time by Vyas Roy, the author, is there has been spent on this uh, noticing the avatar. And, um, and his, again, relevance to us in the followers of Sri Chaitanya, in, in Nadia, and his method... Uh, to his madness of the chanting of Hare Krishna. This uh, Nishinga Avatar is also very prominent in the Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, more than any other avatar. It is said that Garadhar Pandit, hmm, the close friend and associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, would d- daily recite the, the, the Bhagavat Purana and give a discourse on it to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. In Nadia, just after bathing in the Ganga, after breakfast, every morning there would be a Bhagavat recital coming from the learned uh, Garada Pandit, who was who, who a representation of Radha in, in Gaur Lila. We can imagine what was the 
the kind of discourse that was. We should pine to enter into that kind of discourse. In, in, they had a morning program like Prabhupada set up just before breakfast, chanting discussion of the Bhagavad. But although we can imagine that Kadadhar had such deep penetration into the significance of the Bhagavatam that he could capture Chaitanya's attention by his classes every day, what, what, what type of esoteric topics and insights he might speak about, while we might think like that, and it's, it's uh, appropriate to do so, we are also told by Vrindavan Das Thakur that, that the chapters about Prahlad hmm, were, were an emphasis in the discourse of Gadadhar Pandit. Hmm. Now, the, the, the chapters about Prahlad, that the story of Nisringa's appearance and so forth are con- concerned with, uh, in one sense, con- uh, uh, are centered on a kind of entry level to the higher idea of transcendence that we're talking about. Hmm. And so it's peculiar and instructive, I should say to us, that Gadadhar would, would um, uh, belabor or would, would the, these, the, the, these these chapters, the great Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, the guru of my guru, he said these these topics, Prahlad Charita, the character of Prahlad and the, the chapters of the Bhagavatam dealing with Prahlad and the Shringa, those ten I mentioned, he said these should be read a hundred times, discussed a hundred times more. Hmm? Um, People, this is the reason for stressing this is is important because the leelas of Radha and Krishna are very romantic and very beautiful, and very um, elevated and difficult to understand because they have an appearance of that very thing that I said was something to get out of your heart, lust, young boy and a young girl in the forest. They have an appearance of that, and so how can you meditate on a young boy and a young girl, you know, rendezvousing and so forth? And get free from lust by doing that. It would be just the opposite. It would just seem like it'd be an impeller of, uh, for uh, similar, uh, give rise to similar thoughts within oneself. But we find that Chaitanya was absorbed in this. He was a yati, a renunciate. His the measure of renunci- his renunciation was extraordinary. He was only a 25, 24 year old boy when he took the renounced order of life, and senior men wearing only the deer skin and uh, living a life of austerities were were intimidated by the measure of his own um, detachment and renunciation uh, was extraordinary and 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 this was the outer result of his inner preoccupation with the leelas of Radha and Krishna so uh, there's a famous verse of course about Sukadeva the speaker of the Bhagavatam was questioned he was a self-realized soul why did he take the time to study the Bhagavatam what does he need a book for and the answer came, hmm? that those who are atmaram, self-satisfied, still they find satisfaction in the leelas of Krishna. They're super transcendental. So they're, they, they look like one thing, but if you study them carefully, there's something quite different. They have a very different effect upon one. Hmm? Nonetheless, for the common people, it's easily to, easy to misconstrue. Hmm? So we're careful in talking about the leelas of Radha and Krishna to underscore the fact that they're that they're dealing with a realm that's beyond lust, greed, avarice, and so forth, and um, and 
you know, like you take Krishna. I'll just give a simple example. Krishna's a thief, makanchor, he steals butter and so forth, and these kind of things. He's very mischievous and so on. So how can God be a thief? Of course, if you own everything and then you steal, then what's that? That is we call play. So the name Leela is given to that. So it's not what it what it looks like. The humanness of it is very beautiful because the humanness of Krishna Leela enables us to connect with the divinity with all of our human emotions. That's very extraordinary. Mm-hmm. We are emotional beings uh, more than anything else. That's why you say, yes, I know Swami, but... I know I should, but I feel another way. That's not always good, but um, it un- just serves to underscore the point. We're emotional beings. So if our human, by our human emotions, which so much resonate with us, which are so much about, we can connect with the divinity, this is a very natural type of connection that's very easy, second nature, so to speak, not only is it that, but it's very powerful because when we connect emotionally, that's how we connect the most. Hmm? Right? Hmm? And so you have to understand this Krishna Leela is something like that. You take, I've given an example before, you take like Christianity, you have Christ, a divine appearance and so forth. It also plays on human emotions, but not on all the human emotions. On fear, um, for example, it's kind of ghastly, the whole thing. He's on the cross and like, oh my God. I should, you know, whoa. And so it's, it does, I didn't see it, but that movie of Mel Gibson was very, I guess, emotional for people. Um, but it, it does touch human emotions and, and compel people, some people, to enter into a, you know, a, a kind of a pursuit of, of God. And it's sold like that. Hmm? But, but Krishna Leela touches on every emotion. Hmm? Every human emotion, because it's the divi- it's the absolute appearing human-like, and love is a, is it really a human condition? It's a fallen condition. We fall in love. It's uh, yeah, so so. It's a very powerful um, notion, mm-hmm. a po- very powerful. Uh, um, what the Bhagavatam is depicting, uh, describing means for connecting as human beings with that which we are beyond our humanity even. Hmm? Um, and so, uh, that said, uh, we underscore or we, or we preface often the narratives of those leelas of Krishna with the kind of things that we're talking about today, the difference between love and lust, what is the self, what, are, what, is, what, are, uh, what is matter, how we're attached to it, uh, how to get disentangled from all of this and so on and so forth. And so the stories about Prahlad in which the, in the in the Bhagavad that gave rise to the appearance of Nisringa, these are the ones that Chaitanya entertained again and again and again from the mouth of Gadadhar Pandit. Hmm? It's very instructive to us. He could have talked about something higher, so to speak, but he, this is if you don't get this in place, the point is you're not going to go there. Hmm? Uh, and you know, there's plenty of people in India who think, yes, Radha and Krishna, very beautiful love, and I should love like that too. And uh, I find a Radha and and many gurus say they're Christian, they've got a Radha too, and it's a problem. You know, so, it's, <laughs> so it's misunderstood. But you study this Leela now of Nara Singha. This is an avatar of Krishna. You never have any misconception about life, about this. Hmm? Prahlad was a devotee of Krishna, 
And that same Krishna who was dancing with Radha appeared in this very peculiar form hmm, relative to Prahlad's situation. So if you can appear like a man and a lion, then you can have a Radha. <laughs> is the point. <laughs> you can appear like a man and a lion combined and speak philosophy and and so forth, then you can have a Radha. Otherwise, no. Hmm? Otherwise, no, you should worship Radha and Krishna. Hmm? And that the concept, uh, the idea and so forth. So, um, and this then, Gadada uh, Pandit daily would recite the Bhagavatam to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in 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 Navadweep. Now, traditionally, Narasimha unto himself is worshipped by many with the view of developing love in awe and reverence, which is a which is a love that distances us somewhat from the object of our love, hmm? um, rather than in intimacy, the love of of the devotees for Radha and Krishna is the love of intimacy, where the Absolute becomes human-like and you can get close to him, like I said in the Gita, where Arjuna wants to get close to Krishna as a friend. Hmm? Narasimha typically uh, is, is worshipped in many lineages, but with a view to attain a, a reverential type of, of love in, in servitude. So we have two realms in bhakti, intimate love and intimacy, and love in 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 majesty, so to speak. Hmm? In the love and intimacy, the godhood of the Godhead is somewhat suppressed so that the finite can be close to the infinite without thinking, God, I'm sitting next to the infinite. I better step back. Something like that. So this is a theological kind of necessity. For us to have intimacy with the absolute, the absolute must take a finite-like appearance, even while being infinite, out of its infinite capacity you know, to do so. So, so Prahlad, at the same time, our path is a path, following Chaitanya is a path, Mahaprabhu towards a, a path of love and intimacy. So you might ask, what place does Nisringa have in all of this? Hmm? One thing as an aside here is that Prahlad's love is characterized by Jiva Goswami and his Bhakti Sandarbha as Rag. He attained Rag. Hmm? Rag means love that is spontaneous, driven by taste, not because it should be done, it's the right thing to do, or anything, but not out of duty, but spontaneous. Hmm? So there's a there's a there's a kind of a a gauge or a spectrum hmm, for this rag. Typically, the type of rag we talk about is a rag of the love of Vrindavan, the intimacy with with Krishna and his coward friends, milkmaidens, and so forth, but. But in the principle, in essence, it extends further along and down, if you will, the, the spectrum, even to uh, other realms where other appearances of Krishna, different avatars, make their appearance, and we find a love that is un, unchecked and. Um, um, not driven by duty or fear or anything of the sort. So, Prahlad's an example of that. Not the type of rag bhakti in particular that we are pursuing, but nonetheless the measure of his absorption, the spontaneity, to use the term of Prabhupada, of his love. This is desirable. and We can look to him um, as an example of this and determine our own standing hmm, 
in, in pursuit of the ideal of love that's spontaneous without thinking about it, um, um, it becomes just second, second nature. When the bhakti becomes just second nature, so to speak. So, <clears throat> so at any rate, in, while in the sing, not a single place, <coughs> a deity that, that more typically is thought to inspire love in all and reverences and different lineages uh, see him as such, we see him slightly in a different way. Hmm? And Bhakti Vinod Thakur, you know, is praying to him here in in Navadweep. Hmm? In the in the in the waves of spiritual emotion that he's surfing, if you will, uh, riding in in in, in, in There's a place in Navadweep um, where Narsingha is said to have settled after he killed the the personification of lust and greed in the story, the the uh, the father of Prahlad, who was so menacing, hmm? anti-devotional and so forth, who had received a benediction from Brahma that he would not die at the night, nor in the day, nor on the land, on the sea, or in the air, not by the hands of any man or any animal. He, got a, he wanted to be eternal. He asked Brahma for a benediction. He performed very severe austerities uh, to try to ascend to eternity. Hmm? And uh, he got Brahma, the creator's attention, and Brahma said, I, I, I'm not eternal, I can't give you eternality either. So he said, well, he said, I want... So he was thoughtful. Uh, he tried to outsmart the system, so to speak. He said, okay, give me the benediction, I won't die at night, okay? I won't die in the day, okay? I won't die in the land, the sea, the... So he thought he had all his bases covered, you see. So in order to deal with him, who was very menacing and, har- and harassed his own son, who was a devotee, tried to kill his own son and so forth, a menace to the whole universe, as it was thought. All the devas, the gods, and the goddesses were troubled by him. Um, He thought he had all the bases covered. Prahlad, meanwhile, was a devotee of Krishna. He prayed to Krishna in in his difficulty to to give him shelter. And this Nishinga appeared. He was not a man, not an animal. Hiranya Kasipu was said not to die by the hands of an animal or man. He was half man, half animal. He wouldn't appear that wouldn't die the day or the night. So he appeared at dusk, which is between the day and the night. He wouldn't die on the land or the sea or the water. He was on the lap of nursing. He wouldn't have died by any weapon, but by the hands, the lion hands of nursing. So anyway, it's it's a very it's a long list of of ways in which he thought he had covered all his bases. And very clever Krishna appeared in a particular form that that overrode all of those assurances and securities and so forth, teaching us that you know you you you, you, you can't beat the system, so to speak. Uh, it's it's not possible. Hmm? Um, so <coughs> so after that famous incident, and we would probably go into that more. In, in, future here, but uh, not today, but after that famous incident where he made his appearance, then he is said to have gone to Nabadweep and taken taken up a residence there in a place called Devapoli, uh, which is also called Nisringapoli. I mean, that's a place for the, for the gods. When this Narasinga appeared, hmm, the whole universe was spellbound, it's, it's thought. Hmm? So all the gods and goddesses were appearing, and they, they were. He had 
killed this big menace, right? But they were trying at the same time to appease him because he was roaring like a lion and very upset and so forth. And and they offered different prayers. Brahma offered prayers and Indra offered prayers, this one and that one. But none of these prayers could pacify him. There are two reasons for this. All One reason is that all of them had some material desire because all the gods and goddesses, they're all like, they're thought to be manifestations of powerful um, aspects of nature, like wind, like sun, heat and light, uh, uh, and, and water, all the kind of things we're dependent upon. And so all these things in Hindu bhakti, they become worshipable because we're dependent upon them. So we, we look at the world in a, in a worshipful way. We kind of approach the natural world in a loving sense that we acknowledge our dependence rather than trying to conquer it all and, and so forth. And by approaching in a loving way, it's said, of course, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So it's thought that by that approach, the secret that nature has, that it has a soul and it's you, hmm? can come out. And what your prospect is, what your possibilities are, can come out. So we're not... Um, we have a different approach than, for for example, modern modern science today to conquer nature and seed the clouds so there'll always be rain so we can always have or get our needs, and materially speaking, and so forth. And all this is at the loss of any understanding of the subjective world, the inner world, then they start to reason that well, this this soul doesn't exist. Consciousness is just an emergent property of the brain, and and we're all really just robots. And uh, and uh, let's make some robots and and uh, make life easier. And of course, my thought is if they could perfectly make a human robot, it would start to wonder why am I? Is there a god? <laughs> We'd be back where we started. So. You're never going to get away from this God idea. You're never going to get away from that. It's absolutely impossible. In fact, the, the modern atheism is the greatest example of that because turning as it does to science as if, as if science and observation was the, was the final word in everything. I mean, it's just like if you can see it, then you believe it. I mean, this is like a silly policy. Obviously, if we observe something, we can give it happening, we can give it more credibility, but that we can arrive at perfect knowledge by... By that, and we can't observe, but a fraction of the whole of, of material existence is a, is an absurd um, policy. But in pursuing that uh, kind of this um, idea, kind of you know logical, empirical positivism re resurfacing in, in the present century, in some respects, uh, it's it really is at the cost of any higher self. Hmm? It's at the cost, of it, and it's a huge, huge uh, price. Um, and and you know, much of it is done in 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 opposition to misrepresentation of of real religious tradition, real spirituality, and so forth. So that's understandable. But that's just a reaction to a misrepresentation that, in and of itself, doesn't uh, constitute the uh, the whole picture. Hmm? So. Uh, uh, so, back to Navadweep. So, um, so it's thought that the that the gods, they all are representations of nature, like the water, like the sun, the wind, 
um, and so forth that we're dependent upon in different ways. We're, we're dependent upon them like we are. If we, rent, if we own a house, we turn a switch, we get light, we turn a valve, we get water, we press a button, we get heat, we open the mailbox, we get a bill. So there's, there's somebody on the other end where, you know, we should acknowledge them and pay the, pay the bills and so forth. So it's kind of like this, kind of a worshipable attitude towards nature and so forth. That said, the, pow- the sky gods and goddesses, if you will, the powerful manifestations of, of nature are themselves part of the fabric of nature. And, um, and so personified, if you will, they, they all have some attachment to nature. They're a product of it. And they're identified with it, and as much as the Atma is identified with with matter, and it has some material desire, and so this Narasimha he could not be satisfied by any voice, petition or prayer coming through that voice that came from a heart that had material desire, because the personification of material desire, this Hiranyakasipu, the father of Prahlad, had he just showed. Where it all goes, ultimately, this material desire. Better get rid of it altogether. Don't leave even a trace of it was, was his idea. So none of them could pacify him. Hmm? All of them had some material desire, except for Shiva, of course, who, who, who desired liberation, mukti, hmm? which is another subject, but um, that couldn't pacify him either. Hmm? We can desire the world and a false sense, an eye that comes from that, a false sense of proprietorship by acquiring, or we can desire to get away from the world and things. We can desire things or want to get away from things. But in each sense, the occupation, the preoccupation, I should say, is the world. In bhakti, the preoccupation is not getting things or getting away from things. It's not about acquiring things nor salvation from things hmm, that are the bondage Attachment to things is what perpetuates our material existence. Hmm? Attachment in the realm of karma hmm? causes us to take and owe, take and owe, and off to work we go, life after life. So on one side you have the the exploitation, the other side you have the renunciation. I'm going to give up the things, that's a problem, I want to get out of here. But in both cases the preoccupation is the world. One wants to get away from it, one wants to get it. In bhakti, the preoccupation is, 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 is dedication, not renunciation, not exploitation. And within, renunci- within dedication, there is also an element of renunciation and there's also an element of, 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 of acquisition hmm? in a healthy sense. Because if you love someone, for example, then you might find out that certain things they like. And so you get those things for loving. Hmm? And you might find out there are certain things they don't like. So you give up those things for loving. So your renunciation and your acquisition hmm, are part, if you will, marginal characteristics of, of the love, which is the principal uh, uh, activity that you're, you're in, involved in. So a life of dedication, hmm, rather than a life of exploitation on the one hand, karma, or renunciation, gyan, knowledge, on the other hand. Hmm. So... Shiva represents the one, renunciation, all the other gods, uh, 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 Shiva and Parvati, his concert, and all the other gods and goddesses, the, the taking. And Narasimha had no ear for that. Hmm? He couldn't hear that. Hmm? They were big and powerful, materially speaking, and Prahlad was only like a five-year-old boy, hmm? very uh, uh, harassed by his father, but 
His devotion was of great, great, great measure. Hmm? So, because of that, he all their prayers were dismissed by him in that he, they could not stop his rage. He was like roaring, roaring like a lion, right? So, but there's another reason too. There's another reason. The other reason that that the Shringadev was roaring is, as I said earlier, there are sins of the flesh, if you will, just material desires. It's it's a way of putting it, attachments and so forth. And then there are sins of the soul. What is the sin of the soul? Sin of the soul is to go against bhakti herself. Hmm? And this is what Hiranyakasipu did. Hmm? That really enraged Narasimha. He harassed Prahlad for the simple reason of his devotion. Hmm? Prahlad had learned in the womb through the well-wishing of Narada, the Rishi Narada. Hmm? Narada recited the Bhagwat. Bhagavad Purana, the story of Krishna, to the mother of Prahlad, who was pregnant with Prahlad, the devas, you see, the devas, they had some material desire, a little bit. Hmm? Now, Hiranyakasipu, the father of Prahlad, was a big demon and a menace to the whole universe, it's thought. So, they wanted to get rid of him. But then they realized his wife is pregnant with a son. Oh, God! It's going to continue. And sometimes the son makes the business bigger than the father. So it's going to get even worse here. Hmm? And so they wanted to abort the child. Not the best idea. I know it has political implications in the world today, but um, a little restraint is also useful. <laughs> um, that's a good idea when it comes to the coupling of the sexes and so forth. That the outcome of which is often um, well progeny so the progeny of Prahlad was thought to be a danger so the demigods compromised by material desire they thought well you know let's just kill the kid in the womb and then you know everything will be all right so um, meanwhile Narada he approached the wife, the mother of Prahlad, and spoke, recited the Bhagwat, the story of Krishna. Hmm? And in doing so, his, he was a rishi, a sage. So his, his, his heart's desire was that the child in the womb hmm, would, be, would be blessed with a desire for bhakti. Hmm? This speaks about the power of bhakti to... Uh, uh, Overcome any obstacle. Hmm? Bhakti is very friendly in that, for example, if we sit and chant, which is a form of expression of bhakti, there are other living beings that don't chant, like maybe the animals or something, and they hear the chanting. Arguably, they can be benefited by that. Whereas they can't sit and do yoga postures, and uh, that, that's not as user-friendly of a form of spiritual practice. So bhakti is very... Uh, very user friendly. Very, it 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 it's, it it goes everywhere. Even if you don't want it to go there, it it, it goes there. Hmm? Um, so it went into the heart. It went went into Prahlad in the womb, and he came out predisposed towards bhakti. Hmm? So when his father sent him to school, and his father was an avowed enemy of the gods and Vishnu, and he asked, "What is the best thing you learned in school today?" He said, "The best thing I learned was bhakti to Krishna." 
Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasim, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam. His father was outraged. And he went to the teachers and says, what are you teaching this kid? You know, this is like my enemy, this, this idea, Bhakti, and, and so forth. They said, we didn't teach him. He just liked that, you know. He's, he's, and it, it, the fact was, as it's recorded in the, in the Bhagavad, when the teachers were gone for recess, Prahlad would teach the students about Bhakti. So the kids were chanting and stuff. So it was a big problem. So Hiranyakasipu, the, the father of Prahlad, then took it upon himself to challenge the, um, the convictions, the spiritual convictions of, of Prahlad. Um, and that involved, uh, dry, uh, well, the kind of things that the father would get, you know, on CNN and his trial would be played out for months, you know, for the kind of, you know, uh, child abuse that he uh, engaged in. It was, it was horrendous. And, of course, um, Krishna was protecting him through all this. That nothing, nothing harmed him and so forth. And ultimately, this Narasimha or Hiranyakasipu said, you know, you talk about God and, you know, where is your God? And for lots of these everywhere. And then he asked, are you, okay, is he inside this stone pillar to the palace here? He said, yeah, he's there too. So he took his weapon and broke the stone pillar and then out came this Narasimha and so forth. So, uh, he, anyway, the point is here that he he was not only um, was he full of material desire, but the problem with material desire, if it's given too much room to to ferment, grow, and, and so forth, it can make one opposed to bhakti. Hmm? And then this becomes more detrimental than the material desire itself. It's in another realm. So he became an offender to devotion. And this was what really, well, pissed him off. Pissed, uh, it really, <laughs> to be a little crude, it really enraged uh, Narasimha. Hmm? He could not be pacified by the devas. Hmm? Uh, only by Prahlad, hmm? who spoke then beautiful prayers of devotion with no material desire, very wise uh, poetry and insightful and so forth, and the roaring lion Nasringa became like a like a kitten, hmm? and he licked Prahlad from the, the head to toe and so forth. Anyway, this Nasringa went to Nabadweep after all this, landed in Nabadweep, a place called Devapoli, and the beauty of Nabadweep, this place of Chaitanya's appearance, is that it 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 it, it it has very great power to overcome anything in our background that is an, that, that that constitutes an offense to bhakti that gets in the way of our appreciating it and taking advantage and so forth. Hmm? So all the devas came there. They all, it's called Devapoli. So they are bhakti vinod riding the waves of spiritual emotion. Nadia sees all the devas are here, hmm? and in this place. Nandasinga become very sympathetic, and they they can have they 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 can have some proximity to him without being intimidated by his roaring and so forth. It means that this Navadvipa is a place that can very easily remove material desire and also the effects of aparad, of offense. 
And it's in this place that these prayers of Bhakti Vinod Thakur were, were, he was contemplating this place, thinking of going through the, the, the places of Chaitanya's pastimes and the Srinapoli, and then these prayers came from his heart like this. Hmm? And we know here that he prays for what? The string is called Bhakti Vignaminasana, who, 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 welcome, who removes the obstacles to Bhakti. Hmm? He prays to Narasimha for service to Krishna. Hmm? Bhakti Manod. And he says, in making prayers like this, Nishringa responded to me. This is what he's saying. He responded to me. He said, Oh, my dear Vatsa. Vatsa means like a calf. He said, Oh, the calf is so tender. Hmm? Like a child. He said, Oh, my dear child, Bhakti Vinod. Hmm? Come here. Hmm? He put his hand on his head like this. Hmm? Sit on my lap. Like Prahlad sat on my lap. You are a devotee like that. Hmm? Come close to me. Hmm? He said, You are asking me to free you from obstacles of lust and greed. You're asking me to give you the desire to, to serve Krishna, to overcome offenses. I say to you, chant the name of Krishna hmm? and take shelter of the Vaishnavas here in Navadvip because they have more power than me. Hmm? He's saying, the holy name of Krishna has more power than I do to remove obstacles. And so, and the Vaishnavas. Hmm? I have some special relationship with Kirtan, he's saying. Hmm? That's true. I like that very much. Kirtan is this form of chanting. I like that very much, he said. Hmm? So I promote to you Kirtan. I in some way preside over Kirtan that I clear obstacles to Kirtan. Kirtan clears all other obstacles. Hmm? <laughs> this is his power. I clear obstacles to Kirtan. When we began the chanting in the early, late, mid-60s and early 70s under the direction of our Guru Maharaj, then sometimes people would come out and, and I remember in Hollywood Boulevard and they would harass us and things and, and, and sometimes our safety was, was appeared in question. So he gave us this mantra to Narasimha to chant, hmm? to protect the kirtan party. So Nusringa is saying to him, I protect the kirtan, and kirtan will do it, does everything to you. This is my position. I stand at some distance from kirtan. I love the kirtan very much. Satatam kirtayantomam. We have to understand this point. I was saying, people worship Narasimha as, as, for awe and reverence. We have a little different perspective. We see that Prahlad was a devotee of Krishna in Bhagavatam, repeatedly throughout the ten chapters, Describing Prahlad, he's, re he's described as devotee of Krishna, devotee of Krishna, devotee of Krishna. Hmm? Govinda, Parirambitaha. Hmm? Uh, um, hmm. Krishna, Gritatma. Like, uh, he was always in the embrace of Govinda. That he was, his life was moving around Krishna like, 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 like it was a factor in his astrological chart and couldn't be changed. The story, it's, this is a story about Krishna. Hmm? The story begins. It's all about Krishna. So Narasimha is a particular face of Krishna who is very clever to tender to the needs of, of Prahlad. And Krishna is the one 
who says in the Gita, what? Satatam kitanto mam. My devotees, how you know them? They're always chanting about me. Kirtan is very... You have different spiritual practices, like Ashtanga Yoga is a spiritual practice. So there is the yamas and niyamas, the angas, the limbs of the body of Ashtanga Yoga. Kirtan is not one of them. If you take Gyan Yoga, it has its limbs. Kirtan is not one of them. You take Bhakti... Ah, Sravanam Kirtanam. Kirtan is one of them, and it's the main one in the Kali Yuga, the time in which we live, as his thought. The main limb. Hmm? And Krishna is the one who says, chanting my name, just call my name and I'll be there, he says. That's his song. Hmm? <laughs> Shiva doesn't say that, Ganesh doesn't say that, Durga doesn't say that. Hmm? Hmm? Kirtan is for Vishnu Bhakti, and amongst within Vishnu Bhakti, there are many different avatars. Hmm? But the kirtan for Krishna is particularly relative to Krishna. We do Nam kirtan, Lila kirtan, Guna kirtan, hmm? all types of kirtan. Hmm? After all, as I said, Krishna is the kind of the romantic heart of the Absolute. So that goes with song very much. Hmm? Hmm? And this was Chaitanya's method, huh? kirtan, and is focused entirely. Radha and Krishna. And this Narasimha, as I said, he has some affinity for Kirtan. Hmm? He's Krishna. <laughs> of course he does. But in that particular form, he sees himself as the protector of the Kirtaneers, those who do Kirtan. Hmm? He is Krishna. Perlad was worshipping Krishna and given the circumstances, Narasimha appeared. Right? That is the reverse of that. Reverse of that is that in the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one of his associates, Gopal Bhattu Goswami, hmm? he was born in South India. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu met him in South India. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told him that when your parents retire, hmm, go to Vrindavan, Krishna's place, south of Delhi, as it is now thought, and Stay there, and I'll meet you there again. These were the days where they didn't have, you know, you got places by walking, so I'll see you there later. <laughs> in a few years, in a decade, maybe, I'll, I'll see you there. So he went, his parents retired, he went to Vrindavan, he resided there, and then in the dream, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to him and said, Go to Nepal. Hmm? Go to Nepal, Nepal, and you'll find me there. So our minds go to Nepal. Today was a tragedy, just mentioning the name there recently. It's a, it's a Hindu country, actually. So it's unfortunate uh, for any place, but now they've had a huge earthquake there. But Gopal Bhatta went there, and he had a spiritual earthquake. He went to the Gandaki, famous river there in, in Nepal in the Himalayas, and he put his, his loda, his bathing pot, in the water, and when he pulled it out, there were these fossilized forms of Vishnu, a dozen of them, called the Shaligram. And I thought, whoa, and he put them back in the water and he put his pot in again. And again, they came in his, in, his, in his lota. And so he thought, I guess I'm supposed to keep these. And then he, in the dream, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, so this is some manifestation of Vishnu as it's thought. So he took them home to Vrindavan 
and he began to worship them. Hmm? Meanwhile, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu knew he was in Vrindavan, so he sent his asana, his seat, wooden asana, to Gopal Bhatta, in the, one of his cloths there. Hmm? It showed a way of showing some, some um, designating, if you will, Gopal Bhatta in some way as his representative. He became an, initi- an initiator amongst the Goswamis, the official initiator. Hmm? Meanwhile, he was worshipping these uh, shaligrams, and uh, and someone came uh, and gave him some ornaments and cloth, like the deities of Krishna are dressed in ornaments and cloth. And he said, well, I can't use these because these little shaligrams, you can't dress them like this, hmm? like you can the statue. So he said, the man says, no, no, I've given you, please, please accept. And then he went away. And so... This uh, Gopal Bhatta was thinking, yeah, it, says, it would be nice if I had a deity that was dressed and I, you know, full of form and I could dress him and so forth. And, 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 and meanwhile, it was that this day, well, this day coming tomorrow, Nashinga Chaturdasi, 14th day of the waxing moon of the month of, well, here it's May. So, <laughs> uh, uh, Celebrating the appearance of the Shingha, so he's reading, reading the chapters about Prahlad, meditating on the devotion of Prahlad. This is a Rag Bhakta, Gopal Bhakta, right? Reading about the, 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 the intensity, the Rag of, of the natural, spontaneous devotion of Prahlad, and, and, and contemplating the, the mystery of the Shingha's appearance and so forth with great uh, depth of, of meditation and so forth. And and he went to bed. Took rest for the night, meditating on Narasimha and Prahlad. Remember, Prahlad was meditating on Krishna. Prahlad was meditating on Krishna, and Narasimha appeared. Gopal Bhatta was meditating on Narasimha. And when he woke up in the morning, he went to get the shilas, and they were kept in a little basket. And the lid of the basket was popped off, and something was like sticking out like this. And he thought, "Oh, a snake has gotten into the basket or something. I should be careful." And then he took off the top, and much to his surprise, one of the shilas—it's a little round stone like this—had expanded, and part of it is here on the like this, and part of it is here. This is a shoulder now, and this is a hip. Hmm? And a 12-inch deity, stone deity, that became famous as Radha Raman appeared. Hmm? And then he could dress that deity. That deity's been worshipped for centuries and centuries and centuries. And so, again, Prahlad was meditating on Krishna, and Narasimha appeared, and Gopal Bhakta was meditating on Narasimha, and Krishna appeared. <laughs> so... And this Radharaman is very special. They say that the the, the 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 his hands and fingers. Recently, I commissioned an artisan in India to to carve a deity of Krishna, and and Balaram, and I wanted them twelve inches. He said, "Very difficult, Swami. Oh, very very difficult to make it twelve inches because of the stone and it's, it's such. You have to have more detail because it is smaller, and and it might break. It's very difficult." Hmm? You have to make a little bigger, maybe 18 inches, 20 inches. Can do, but 
could be a problem. Like this. So, the point I'm making is that the Radha Mandiri, they say if you look carefully, his fingers are so refined, perfect, that no artisan could possibly have carved the stone without it breaking. Hmm? It said that the other Goswamis, the associates of Gopal Bhatta, observed Radharamanji and they said, Oh, from his waist down, he looks like Madan Mohan. From his waist upward to his shoulder, he looks like Gubindadev. And his face looks like Gopinath. These are the three deities of Vrindavan, Madan Mohan, Gubinda, and Gopinath, representing the Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, all in one in Radharaman. Now you say Radharaman, but where is Radha? Raman is there, but where is Radha? Hmm? So it was thought that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined in one form. Hmm? And that this is the way then in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, I will come to Vrindavan. Hmm? <laughs> in this form, Radha and Krishna combined in one. Radha Raman and Nasringa Bhagavan. <laughs> as some connection. Some We have some, some as Raga Bhaktas aspiring for the service of Radha Raman, we have some connection with Nasringa Dev. The deity presiding over the protection of the kirtan. And in Nadia, of course, he did this, you know, on certain terms. And I'll I'll just tell that story briefly and we'll conclude with that. When Chaitanya began his chanting, hmm, it was a private sessions of the chanting. Into the wee hours of the night they were lost in ecstasy. Hmm. It was a it was a it was a uh, Muslim dominated uh, really um uh well, government. So the, the Hindus were somewhat oppressed, but not like today. I mean, they lived communally. They, Hindus and Muslims lived peacefully. Hmm? The Hindus were allowed to do their worship and so forth. Um, of course, they weren't allowed to convert anybody and proselytize, which is not particularly characteristic of, of Hinduism hmm? compared to Islam, for example. It really feels the need to to, to canvas and so forth, um, um, but the kirtan, the chanting of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the house of Srivas, was such that the local Hindus couldn't quite get it. They they didn't understand this this particular form of devotion. Mm, it was very ex- different for them, and also it was by its very nature it had some kind of like, as I say, overflow. So. It wasn't like kept private. It was an example of where your private life and your public life becomes one. One fellow once asked me, said, you know, you do this chanting, don't you think that the spiritual life should be private? That's a private thing? I said, yeah, it's a private thing, but it should be such that our private life and our public life are not different. That's spiritual life. When our private life is one thing and our public life is another, then we are in a compromised position. Hmm? So if you go deeply within, it will show without, and you will wear your bhava on your sleeve, as they say. Hmm? This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was not chanting to convert others, but just he, he is the movement out of fullness, out of ecstasy, 
celebrating his fullness, why he couldn't contain himself. Hmm? And it was so so the outreach of bhakti should be a result of inward reach, not just some intellectually contrived method for somehow bringing people in to increase your numbers or something like that. Hmm? But some deep inward experience that that it causes you to like to talk about these things and 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 that's what you're about so you share them you create facilities for them to to, to to it is said the guru has a real in our tradition a real problem the problem is that the name of krishna is so extraordinary that two ears and one tongue can't do justice to it hmm? what it does when it enters the courtyard of the heart and dances there so he or she the guru needs hundreds of ears and hundreds of tongues to take advantage of it. And so therefore, he goes out and recruits, give me your ears, lend me your tongue, what this mantra is doing, I, uh, help me figure it out, uh, share, share, share it with you, see if it works on you. And if it does, then we something like this. So he was doing kirtan like this, but the Hindus were worried, like, you know, look, this is like spilling out all over the place and even we don't understand it, but the Kazi, the, the magistrate here, is going to be upset. Hmm? In fact, they went to the ma- Muslim magistrate and they complained, this, this Chaitanya Nimai Pandit, he's causing a disturbance, chanting on the night like this. By this time, some pious people on the streets were observing the, the glow coming from the house of Srivas. Throughout the night, it remained illumined. Hmm? They thought, how could we be qualified to enter into that? How can we, the doors are closed, how could we enter in there? Hmm? And the omniscient Chaitanya, his thought was, oh, you are thinking you are unqualified. That means you're qualified. Hmm? If you thought, I'm so qualified, I should be able to enter there. Why have they locked the door? He'd say, lock the door again. Hmm? But those who have the humble heart thinking, I would like to do this, but I have no qualification. Immediately they become qualified hmm? by their humbleness. Hmm? And so his kirtan overflowed into the streets of Nadia. They were going in the public and just chanting. And so the Hindus, they, they became, who weren't participating, they became worried. The Muslims became worried. So they went and complained to the magistrate. Hmm? He said, yes, I, the Hindus, they, they're, they're converting people now. This can't be allowed. We have to stop this. So they went. he went out and he Enter one group of the kirtan and he grabbed this clay drum, just like right here, Sri Murdanga, Kijai. And he took it and threw it on the ground and it will break. This is made out of clay, it just broke. He said, Don't do this kirtan anywhere in the street here again. Then he left. Hmm? Meanwhile, the kirtan went on. He sent out, then he sent out. Representatives stopped that kirtan, and they came back and reported to him. Hmm? But what he, what they reported, he didn't report, and the kirtan continued. Some of the devotees were a little fearful. They approached Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We said, "Don't have any fear. By now, we will go tonight to the kazi's house, to the magistrate's house." The kazi was. A, closely associated with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's family and he was a religious man in his own right. 
the Nawab Hussein Saab, who was the actual ruler that the magistrate was working under, Chand Kazi was the was the was the was the guru of Nawab Hussein Saab. Hmm? So he taught him the Quran. Hmm? So he was a scholarly type of fellow. Hmm? Anyway, he, he was now held up in his house, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu brought at night hundred thousand devotees by torchlight to the house of the Kazi, and they were chanting and trampling the gardens <laughs> and making a, uh, you know, they were all enthusiastic and, and uh, that, that when Chaitanya was leading the kirtan. Hmm? And so Mahaprabhu Chaitanya called Chaitanya Kazi, come out, come out. And he didn't come. Finally, he came to the door and said, I'm, I've come to your house. Hmm? You are my uncle, Kaka. You are my uncle. You are a close associate of my maternal uh, grandfather, Nilambar Chakravarti. Although he's a Hindu and you are a Muslim, you are both scholars. You used to discuss philosophy and theology and so forth. And and so I'm I, like you're like you're you're like 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 my uncle. Hmm? And so I've come to your house, and you you stayed inside. He said, "Well, you brought a hundred thousand men with you," <laughs> and I'm a little intimidated by that. He says, "No, no, you don't be intimidated by that. Hmm? They're all with me. We are all one, one family." Hmm? And then the Chandkazi said, "I will tell you why I have stayed inside, but I want to tell you in private." And Mahaprabhu Chaitanya said, no, this is private. All these people there with me, you have nothing to hide. Anything I know, they know. They are so connected to me. Hmm? So he said, all right, I'll tell you what happened to me. I tried to stop your kirtan. I got in the way of that, Hmm? as you know. And you've come here because of that. But just a few days back, my representatives, when I sent them to stop the kirtan, they said... When we approached the kirtan, we were repelled by flames. And look and see, the hair on my chest was singed here, and I've been burned here. He said, I didn't know whether to believe them or not, but I stayed in my house. And then at night, last night, I had a dream. And in the dream, a ferocious half-man and half-lion appeared in the dream. And he sat on my chest... And he started to scratch my chest right where my heart is. And he said, don't you ever break that drum again. That's my favorite instrument. I'm the protector of the kirtan. I'll let you go this time, but don't let that happen again. And then he opened his shirt and said, just see. And all the devotees looked, and there were scratches on his heart, on his chest <laughs> from, his, from his dream. And everybody went, not a singer. He died. And so <laughs> and so he then then the Chandkazi there was a discussion. They had a little philosophical discussion the Chandkazi said where he said that, that for this day on in my district in Nadia Kirtan will always be honored. From for every generation in my family from here on out the Kirtan of 
of, of the Hare Krishna mantra will always be honored in my district and never be interfered with, even though we're all Muslims there and so forth. And to this day, it's become a place of pilgrimage for members of our tradition to go to the Chandkazi's district. There's a samadhi of the Chandkazi there. Hmm? And to this day, his his followers, the generations, they honor the kirtan. And this moment of the appearance of Narsinga in Gorlila protecting Hari Kirtan, the method to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's madness. Shri Hari Kirtan ki jai. Narsinga Bhagavan ki jai. Chandkazi ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. So that's the story for today. <laughs> What's the time? Okay, it was a long one. I wanted to kind of preface it so some of our guests who aren't familiar might be drawn in a little bit to what we're talking about. So, so it's too high for some, too low for others. Uh, but everybody hopefully got something from the discussion, right? So good. So we stop there, and then now we all go and you can have the darshan of the deity. Then it'll be a nice lunch and so forth. Then we meet this evening around the campfire and you can just ask any questions about anything and I'll try to respond. Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Radha Madhava ki jai, Sringa Shaturasi Mahamotsava ki jai, Gaud Premanandi. Jafarai Swami, Guru Maharaj ki jai.